As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. where we know everything and nothing. I'm one of your hosts, Amelia. I'm Table. And this week, we're hoping you've recovered from our talk of death. And even though it was a little bit hopeful and scientific, it was a little depressing. But uh, we're here to maybe uplift your spirits with the ideas that plants may control us. (laughs) Yeah, that's the topic that I chose to go for after your terrifying corpse taker story but yeah i wish everyone had a wonderful start to the year first of all and we will be delving into the world of plants and how they affect the world i mean do you have a plant in your house amelia i have several we have um peace lilies aloe right now because of it's getting to be colder weather we're bringing in a lot Mm -hmm. like the thanksgiving cactuses and things like that all those come inside Yeah, I mean, like, we have a lot of plants around us. And we always talk about the, you know, we got to save the planet. They're green. They're saving us. But how much do plants have influence over our lives? I mean, the clothes that you're wearing right now to some of the materials, things are made in your house. They all came from plants. So I don't know. All of my clothes are super synthetic because I'm cheap. So polyester all the way. Actually, that's completely a joke i love cotton cotton is amazing because i was about to be like where do you buy those clothes because i i don't know <laughs> <laughs> like i've never seen 100 percent synthetic clothes what well you don't buy a lot of women's clothes though because like a lot of the like silky tops and things are completely yeah. polyester and oh, rayon and things like that like they're polymers and 
Well, you're right. I do not buy female clothes. So, <laughs> but yeah, so just to kind of go into it, um, how much do you know about plants, by the way? I know a fair amount about plants, not nearly as much about this topic of plants uh-huh. as you do, because I, I mean, I've read through the notes and everything, but it's intense. Like, it's a lot of new information. I know that they provide oxygen. I know how they work. I know that they communicate and things like that. But not nearly yeah. as intense as this. Well, I kind of went deeper into it because, you know, I, I was probably around the same or if less in terms of just anything about plants. And going into it, I realized that, you know, we were talking about the microbiomes and stuff like that. It, yeah. it goes back there again, you know, just on the cellular level, what's going on. And it's interesting to know. But before we even go there, let's just talk about what is a plant? We see it outside, it's green, and sometimes it's different colors, but it's classified as a living organism of the kind exemplified by a tree, shrub, herb, grasses, ferns, mosses, and it's usually doesn't move around, it's just like stationary, and absorbing water and inorganic substances through its root system. And basically, that's what a plant is. It has roots, it collects sunlight and it, you know, needs water and usually doesn't move around. They used to classify algae and fungi in the plant kingdom, but they sectored those guys off. Yeah. But we're going to go back. In this case, I'm going to kind of group them in. I'm going to group them in. Because they still go through photosynthesis. Like they still use sunlight in the same processes to make food. Yeah, and they work together a lot. I mean, they work with us too. So it goes way beyond 8,000 years, but there's 8,000 year old history of human interactions with psychoactive plants and fungi, (laughs) you know? And when I say psychoactive, I'm not talking about like hallucinogenic. Anything that affects our brain chemistry is going to be included. Yeah. So making us feel happy or drunk or high, all those things. Our planet has over 1 trillion different species. Invertebrates such as like insects, spiders, mollusks make up around 80% of those 1 trillion species. While plants are 17% and then it leaves the 3%. And it shows you like, first of all, we're a very small percentage of the Earth's like species. Yeah. So we think there's a lot of us. But in truth, we're way outnumbered. And in terms of species and total biomass, plants and insects are basically the heaviest things on this planet as well. So if we're just looking at like, you know, numbers wise, you know, they outnumber us and we're thinking, oh, we're bigger than them. Well, there's also a lot of plants bigger than you. So averaging it out, like once again, though, they are stationary. It's not going to become like not just that. It goes into the, we've had this conversation before about if one day animals or plants decide that they hate humans, like you Mm -hmm. want to be nice to everything. There's so many of them. It's intimidating. Like you said, you have plants in your house. I have plants in my house. They decide to retaliate. I'm dead. You know, the the end. And it's not going to be like your Hollywood style of them coming animated. It's going to be a silent killer. It might happen like in your sleep. I don't know. I kind of like the idea of the oak tree in my front yard becoming a giant ant and just like smashing the house in because I love that tree. And I would be like 100 percent like, yeah, dude, you do you. You take it. I kind of want to be your bro. But if you hate me, kill me. It's fine. I love you. 
Well, according to science, I don't think that's quite yet possible in this century, maybe like <laughs> like many millennia later. <laughs> but uh, going back to it, for the past 400 million years, plants and insects have basically had a symbiotic relationship. Those two big titans, they have gone through the whole weapon versus the shield. Yeah. A plant can produce something that will keep the bugs away and the bugs will create a resistance to go after it. And then somewhere along the way, some plants started making partnerships with bugs and bugs mm-hmm. did the same as well. So they work hand in hand with different chemicals to influence the insect's behavior to what the plant is indicating and these chemicals are produced only for the plant's interactions with the insects. Surprisingly, I know as a human, it's all about us, but plants don't produce chemicals for our benefit or our nutrition or entertainment. We're basically bystanders of everything else going on. I know we like to think that we're number one, we're affecting everything. We are affecting things, but we're such a small percentage of what's actually going on in the world right now. And that's kind of like what I talked about in the drug episode of tranquilization was a side effect, not something you sought after. And then suddenly there's this drug that just tranquilizes. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. It's these chemicals in the plants. They may affect us. They can poison us like deadly nightshade can kill us. Like there are certain things that are toxic, but it mm-hmm. was never made for us. It was never intended for us. It was intended yeah. for bugs. And yeah. one of my favorite little tidbits is peppers are hot because they don't want to be eaten. It's not because we like to eat spicy things. It's to keep bugs away. And mm-hmm. what makes them spicy is this, what is, I guess it's not a chemical. Maybe it's maybe a component called capsaicin that yeah. makes things spicy. And tomatoes actually have that. They have capsaicin that it's just inactive. And scientists decided, hey, let's see if we can activate this gene. And they poked and prodded and, you know, messed with the tomato enough that, yeah, they activated the spicy gene. And it's like, yeah, you mess with me. I'm going to choose violence. Like, yeah, leave me alone. (laughs) I just want to be a tomato. I just want to be down here and growing and turning red. You know, why you got to mess with me, bro? Why? Of course, humans would make tomatoes choose violence. Uh, Just to see if it could. So humans and plants share over 3,000 genes that are critical to our survival. As in like, you think that you and a tree are two separate entities, which you are, but you guys still share a lot of common biological traits as well. Plants, insects, and animals. We're animals too. So plants, insects, and animals. The basic how we produce and utilize the chemicals inside our normal brain functions are very similar in a sense. With the neurotransmitters that receive acetylcholine and dopamine and serotonin and GABA that profoundly affect our thinking and mood, we can actually produce, synthesize psychoactive chemicals that exist in plants, but in us, in a more natural, and and I'll go back into that later. Basically, plants influence our brain function because of our shared genetic history. So if you look at broccoli or baked potato or anything, they have chemicals that will alter your neurons function. 
and therefore how you think and feel after eating something or you know anything even going into nature your your genes are interacting with everything and being altered consistently yeah and i mean like eating certain foods releases serotonin like i that's something i learned very recently is that serotonin is formed in your gut like yeah. when you eat things i didn't realize that and in your intestines that that that's how it gets released yeah, I mean, like, this is all very important because it comes in later on. But just imagine the reason why everything is happening is we look different, but down to our very core to how our receptors work, how our brain from animals to insects, how they communicate on the cellular level is specifically designed or similar to plants. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Plants are also just like super powered species. So plants are extremely good. They're excellent at locating water. They can hear sounds, aka vibrations, at 200 hertz to 300 hertz. The sound of running water. So their root systems can like, you know, kind of head that Reach direction. Out, yeah. You can see plants, you know, if you take pictures throughout the day, which way are all the leaves facing? And that's usually related to sunlight, too. Like, they'll turn with the sun to absorb all of the sunlight they can to process chlorophyll to, you know, get their food. Yeah. And, and that's perfect example, because how aware are you of your body? I try to be as little aware as I can be most of the time, because I like sensory stuff. But, like, I know that after a while, you, for example, smells, you get nose blind after you smell mm -hmm. something for so long. Mm -hmm. Once you put, like, you feel yourself put your clothes on your body, but mm -hmm. after a few minutes, you're unaware that they're there. Otherwise, it would bug you all day long. Like, your body acclimates. Yeah, that's, you know, a good point. But a plant would know how many armpit hairs you have underneath its arms. You know, if it was, if we're more plant-like. I never want to know that. I never want to know that. Well, they, they know because of the fact that when they grow, like trees, when they grow, how do the leaves in the middle that are sometimes in darkness, you know, in a forest, how do they know it's not evening time, that it's not nighttime? You know, the thick forest is because plants are 100% aware of their own selves. They know that the shadows that they create are their shadows. You might think, oh, we know so much, blah, blah, blah. Plants are a lot more simpler, but they know it like they are omnipresent with their own body. And to learn just the fact that they're from day one, they're like, I exist because I can feel all these things is crazy. We go through our entire life of going, who am I? What am I? Why does my body do this? And them from day one, they're like, boom. I got a manual book for how I live. And I think you gave me the example of in a forest, like different trees that are in the shadow of another tree will grow really fast to try to mm -hmm. get to the sunlight. Yeah. But the shoots from that tree, like the, the smaller saplings realize that this is a part of them. And so they don't grow as fast. They don't need to because they're a part of that tree. So they're already mm -hmm. getting the nutrients and they're very yeah. self-aware. Well, yeah, if their root system is connected with the mycelian root system with the other trees, yes. But sometimes they will also stay dormant because they're like, I can't outcompete them. So I'm going to just stay this way for like decades until one of you, and I'm, I'm pointing at you, 
you yeah. look like you're going to fall over next year. That's when I'm going to shoot up. Also, trees will, or not just trees, but vine species will mm-hmm. instinctively reach for something. The best example I can think of is a friend of mine does groundskeeping and he's very into plants. He's very into botany and wisterias. Like I always think of wisterias as bushes because people trim them back, but wisterias are actually vines. Wisterias are the the flowers with the purple, like they look like grapes Mm -hmm. and they smell really nice, attract bees, things like that. But he gave the example of there was one wisteria vine in the middle of a yard and there was a pine tree like 40 feet away and slowly like their root systems could feel out that there was this tree close, but it was 40 feet away. Yeah. And it slowly started growing outwards and like doubling back on itself to build strength so that it could eventually reach this pine tree to grow on it. And it's all because their root systems reached out and knew that there was something else there. Yeah. That's crazy. Can you just imagine like the tree screaming going, Get away from me! No! And we're like walking through the Don't forest. Don't choke me! Yeah, they're just, we're like, oh, that's a nice scene. And the tree's just like, ah! ah, no. ah. <laughs> um, so, slow, slow, slow death. But speaking of touch, a lot of the times when we go through plants and animals, we don't realize what's actually happening. In the plant Arabidopsis, it's basically a one of the mustard family plants. But it's been shown that it's gene expression within minutes after being touched, like after you've passed by it, over 700 genes had altered within the next 30 minutes. It basically told itself, hey, you just got touched at this time. And that's important because I'll bring it up later, but they've shown to have memory. So yeah. Another example is a single rye plant and rye plant, you know, looks like a wheat, you know, a single one. We're not talking yeah, about like a rye bread, like it's, exactly. a, it's a grain. Yeah, it looks like hay, you know, one single plant will have 13 million rootlets with a combined length of 680 miles. That's wow. crazy. A single plant. So each rootlet is covered with root hairs over 14 billion of them with a combined length of 6,600 miles. I mean, that's insane. It just fractals out. Every rootlet and every root hair at its end has a root apex. Every root apex acts as a neural organ in its root system, basically uh, like, you know, our brain, you know, how it's It's like like the end of a neuron. It's like where the neurons connect. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And- So this is where you're seeing a lot of similarities in the plant's root systems, our brain, Mm -hmm. our nervous system, actually, and then insects. But when our body is plugged into our brain, the plant is the brain that's planted into the earth. Just keep that imagery in your mind, you know, just like the fact that it is a brain and they're connected. So going back to insects and humans... We're made up of the same type of cells. For example, uh, beetle skeletal muscles are composed of muscle fibers that have the same structure and function as human skeletal muscles. Mm -hmm. And our fat body is distributed throughout our body just like insects. And the tissues also sometimes produce hormones through their lipid cells. 
the beetle brain, for example, like a beetle's brain is composed of like thousands of neurons that carry information using chemicals and electrical signals. Sounds a lot like how humans do it as well. Yeah. And insects also age. They can get disease like cancer. And this is this is important because you have to have similar chemical composition in your body to have similar diseases. Like you yeah. can't be different and have the same kind of disease. And and also, I mean, like this could be a stretch, but there's also social type things where humans like to give gifts or sing for their mates for, you know, yeah. when they're courting. They also fight for territory. We have different jobs. A lot of hive-like insects have job roles as well. And there's yeah. like, you know, a caste systems kind of. And, and they'll also build large structures. Yeah, their social structure is similar to a basic human social so structure. Mm -hmm. So this all kind of boils down to now you kind of understand what we're facing against, why we are uh, kind of affect each other. And at the same time, how far this goes. So scientists still don't know if this is all by accident, the similarities from our cellular biochemical to molecular levels, or because of the similarities between the nervous systems of the humans and insects. Like humans and insects have like a 60% gene similarity, the latter being many of the SPCs, secondary plant products, it, and, and I'll explain SPCs really quickly. They're basically plant-derived compounds. And what that basically means is that there's the first plant products. Those are chemicals that help the plant grow, thrive. So like chlorophyll, things like that? But yeah, like alkaloids, phenolics, terpenes, you know, these are going to be more like secondary. These are going to come out looking more like color of the plant its defenses, and other things that don't really contribute to the growth of the plant. Some examples would be like caffeine or in tea and coffee or uh, tobacco uh, with the nicotine. They have a powerful effect on us. It's powerful enough that the moment that a culture has found this new type of chemical, they tend to harvest it and there are wars waged over it. You know, people right. have died over a lot of these commodities. Now, and this is just me asking because I, I just want to clarify, are alkaloids, phenols, and terpenes secondary? Yes, they're secondary. Okay, that makes sense. Like, that, those are the things that are, uh, attract us. This is something, like, I can't smoke weed. It makes me sick. But I love the smell. I absolutely love the smell. And the first time I was in Washington with a friend, he was a grower, and he also made hash, which requires a lot of bud. Mm -hmm. And he just had like these huge five gallon bags of bud and I would just shove my face in it and smell and just like, oh, I, I really wish I could yeah. smell. Like, I just love this. And one of the first things he said was what you probably like are the pinenes, like not the terpenes. Like that's the, the scent you're getting is from the pinenes. And then the terpenes are the effect. Mm -hmm. and that's what you get from there. So that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And really quick, though, uh, before we move on, when I mentioned the colors of food or plants, I mean, they indicate different things about them. So you could actually look it up and look up what each color is good for, why, you know. But just for those that just want to have a simple way of looking at it, 
white vegetables and fruits are going to help you with immune support. Greens are going to be really good for detoxification. Orange is going to be helpful for cancer preventative and fighting. Uh, Red is heart health, so blood and all that stuff. Purple is longevity. And yellow, I guess, is beauty. So remember to eat the rainbow. You know, eat diverse colored food, natural diverse color food. Cotton candy doesn't count. (laughs) Yeah, because uh, somebody brought up excluding mushrooms because I do know there are blue mushrooms that are edible, but there are no actually natural blue foods that you eat. Like, vegetable-wise. Blueberries aren't blue. They're actually purple. Uh, Like, their skin looks blue, but it's not. It's purple. And then their insides are green. I did not know that. Eat the rainbow. That's good advice. Yeah, eat the rainbow. And uh, kind of off-tangent, but I thought it was an interesting thought for all you people out there scared of aliens and all those, you know, science fiction type (laughs) stuff. Is that realistically on how science and how, you know, our body systems are set up, if you suddenly went to a foreign planet, let's just like say Avatar, completely different part of our universe, and we entered a planet that basically worked different ways. And and suddenly, let's just say this horrendous space alien came out with fangs or whatever a space teeth you would have and bite (laughs) you and you see the venom go into you and you're like oh god i'm gonna die i've seen this movie many a times i'm gonna melt i'm gonna mutate kill me now truth be told if it's not made from this if there's no gene similarity it would do nothing to you essentially other than take up space i mean if the fluid like filled you up like gallons yeah you would die because like there's a freaking foreign liquid inside you but if it was just like a snake bite, most chances are it's just going to like ooze back out or your body's going to be like, what is this? We don't know what to do because even the virus itself or bacteria that enter you, it's going to be like they landed on a foreign land. Everything's in Chinese and there's no handles anywhere. They're just not going <laughs> to know what to do. I'm definitely using that analogy for the next time I'm confused. Everything is in Chinese and the doors don't have handles. Like it's, it's such a good descriptor of what? Like just what? I mean, like we, in in that kind of situation though, like we might have to have some kind of suit because there might not be some oxygen around for us to breathe. But if there was a case where you got poisoned, most chances are you would be immune to that poison. Just like how viruses and bacteria can't wipe out a population 100%, there's always going to be a 1% immunity or more. They can only uh, cripple a population to the point where they can't repopulate. So you would have really bad, bad luck if you were that 1% that was susceptible to this you know, foreign thing. And you'd be like ground zero because you just give them all the DNA. We had minorly discussed this earlier but you also just brought up an interesting point of you know like it takes up space in your body that's a foreign body your body is going to fight against it so maybe the allergic reaction is severe enough to hurt you well like you know how they say like you don't know if you're really allergic to bee stings until like the second or third time because when you get an allergic reaction your body is all out war the first initial part why there's no reaction is because your body's like, 
what is this? Uh, is this code blue Me. or code red? So, like, so I don't even uh, know what this is. Yeah. And it's like not going to go full blown out. And we want the body to not be inflamed because we want new blood to come into our system and flush it out and, you know, whatnot. And just how things work. But enough alien talk. We will be taking a short break here. And when we come back, we'll be talking about this book slash documentary called The Botany of Desire. Which sounds faintly like pornography with poison ivy. But it's way more intellectual than that, guys. So don't get excited. Or do. I don't know. All right. We'll be right back. Bye-bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome back. Hope you enjoyed those commercials from our sponsors. Now it's time to get spicy with some plants with the botany of desire. Well, it's not actually that spicy, but... So The Botany of Desire, A Plant's Eye View of the World, was written in 2001, and it's a nonfiction by Michael Pollan. I want to point out that I think it's hilarious that someone with a last name Pollan wrote a book about plants. Like, Michael Pollan's going to write about loving some plants. Yeah. Or maybe that's just like a pen name. I don't know. Ooh, that's a good point. Maybe he was very clever. Maybe. So Michael goes through a pretty creative way of describing how we selectively grow, breed, and genetically engineer our plants, specifically apples, tulips, potatoes, and weed. And so I watched this documentary. I kind of read the notes a little bit, but I just wanted to kind of see what their argument was. And it was pretty interesting. 
let's take a step back and look at our goal. Our goal biologically is to reproduce and keeping a healthy herd of people. Plants, their goal is to reproduce and spread as much as they can as well. So we're going to start off with apples. Apples, they've been in our culture from like religion to sports to technology, like everything. Apples are now a human iconic symbol. But back in the day, apples were kind of rare, as in you could only find them in Kazakhstan, and they weren't actually sweet. And to understand that, you have to understand that every apple seed is its own genetic sequence, as in it won't come out like its parent. If you had a sweet, you know, apple tree, the next one might actually be sour and bitter. That totally puts a whole other spin to the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because apparently genetically it definitely does. It does. Back in the day, there was way, way more apple varieties on the market. But just so that it would be easier for marketers, they shrunk those numbers down. And a lot of those other apples, you never really see. Apples back in the day at the market, there were like hundreds of different kinds. They had festivals for apples and people could show, you know, what kind of apples that they were growing. And it's kind of like a grab bag. You never know what you're going to get. Like you just pick up an apple. Is it going to be sweet? Is it going to be sour? So it actually makes sense. Like the or and this is just me going off the cuff here. I have zero evidence just making connections Apple pies make sense because you're putting multiple apples in a pie and the likelihood that it's going to be sweet Mm -hmm. as opposed to just bitter with the more apples you have makes sense. Yeah. And another thing that people mainly used surprisingly, but not really for apples (laughs) was alcohol cider. Yeah. And, And I'll go over that. But to understand that history, we have to go to the most famous apple person. And who would you think that is? Johnny Appleseed. Yes, indeed. His real name was John Chapman. And in 1774, he came to Massachusetts. In his early 20s, he went west and planted and spread apple seeds everywhere. He was like the kind of guy that could just engage you and spark up a conversation. And everyone liked him. Uh, He taught everyone how to grow apples. And he was very knowledgeable about all this stuff. But he was a bum. So essentially, he was just a used car salesman for apples. Like, he's just like, hey, buy my apples. You're not going to regret it. And super charismatic, just selling a product and Mm -hmm. seems very knowledgeable. But here's the kicker, though. He was actually kind of wealthy. He chose to be a bum. He chose to look like he was a bum. Because planting a fruiting tree back in the day was a sign that you were going to live here that you were invested in this land. So it was a big thing to buy a fruit tree and plant it in your yard. This is where John Chapman, aka Johnny Appleseed, made his money. He would sell seeds and saplings to new settlers and teach them how to grow and you know, be make them an enthusiast. And each seed is different from each parent. So you would think, why are you doing this, Johnny? Like, why are you not grafting them to make sure you have you know, uh, sweet trees, but instead it's super diverse. I wonder if the fact that planting fruit trees whenever you move somewhere and like intended to stay is where the term putting down roots comes from. Yeah, I'm sure it might. 
Like, I'm putting down roots in this place. This is where I intend to stay. Putting down roots of a fruit tree. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, this one guy influenced our country's apple consumption, essentially. I mean, if that's the premise that planting a fruit tree means that you're staying here, it's kind of the inception of the country. It's not like Mm -hmm. some people were settlers just to settle and they went back. Mm -hmm. But if you're planning, like, he progressed the union. Yeah. He was also religious. And that's also why he didn't graft. He would always just plant the seeds. And also because of biodiversity. He believed that each seed was essentially, you know, like, let Jesus take the wheel. You know, like, you're going to get the tree that you get. Yes. And I mean, I agree. The biodiversity is important. I personally would like to choose what apples I had. Apparently, Mm -hmm. you couldn't do that at the time. You just take the seeds and you go. But what does that have to do with grafting? Did he think that it was like taking like God into his hands? Well, I'm going to kind of cover that. He's the foundation of how we got apples into this, you know, like so much diversity. And they were sour and bitter. So the first things that started sprouting up were cider establishments. Yeah. They were they were cheap to make. Oh yeah. And they were everywhere. And so it became a huge symbol of drinking. If you were drinking, you're drinking cider. And it became a conflict because of the alcohol prohibition. After the alcohol prohibition, people were going around cutting down apple trees. They were making sure cider production wasn't in play. Though it wasn't entirely the apple's fault. The apple still got some of the blowback. Yeah, I mean, that's unfair. Yeah, it was unfair. And even to this day, with the fermentation of apples, one of my favorite little animal factoids, moose will go find fermenting apples and eat them and get drunk and then rampage around a town. Animals do it. Animals it's a natural it. thing. It's it's not necessarily just like the humans. I mean, like we keep relating this to us, but animals too love plants and what they produce. So going back to it, it wasn't until the 1900s that the apple actually became a fruit. Before it was just for alcohol. You know, it was for relaxation. The presidents drank it. You know, we drank it. With this... I will say, since we have less apples now today, less diversity, yeah, it's become easier for disease and pests. We think that a caterpillar will eat any leaf, but a caterpillar also is very picky. It will only eat certain types of leaves, same as all insects and diseases such as bacteria. Yeah, it's all very species-specific. Like, no. For example, uh, catawba worms live specifically on catawba trees here. And if mm-hmm. they don't have catawba trees, they don't exist. And then they become beautiful butterflies or you harvest them for fishing like my uncle does. But yeah. it's very specific. Like tomato worms are on tomato plants and things like that. So like the uh, forest in Kazakhstan, a virus could enter or a bacteria or a spore could enter and not get too far because it's like, whoa. Each tree is so different. Right. My gene sequence doesn't affect this one. The biodiversity is so important. Mm -hmm. And then if you go to a conventional farm that only has apple crisps from the same tree that's been grafted over and over and over and over again, that one virus is just going to be like, dude, I just chose easy mode. Everyone's the (laughs) same, you know? 
And this goes back to like the love episodes where we were talking about sexual reproduction and how biodiversity is so important. Gene expression, gene diversity. You want different genes in everything. It's not just humans. It's not just animals. Plants are the same way. You need to have a diverse gene pool so that you survive. Mm -hmm. So looking at apples as a plant, the apple tree It succeeded in calling out to us humans and saying, hey, I'm the sweet apple. And the sugar, we wanted more of it. So we figured out how we could selectively get more sweet trees. And now it's on every continent other than Antarctica. At least I think there isn't one up there growing. And Apple has succeeded in what it wanted in world domination. So now we're going to move on to tulips. Tulips, there are every single color you can imagine. There is a tulip that can match it. There are so many different forms, shape, and variety. Including the Canadian flag, like we talked about. Yeah, like we talked about. So 100 million years ago, that's when they started to first start up here. It was a much greener and sleepier world where plants, you know, things didn't really like have sex. They would clone each other and, you know, they would, there wasn't much variation. And then the angiosperms started to appear, the male and female part, where populating became faster, evolving became faster. And by the way, evolving is not like Pokemon evolve. Evolve by definition is just how much the population is growing because it's a given that the genes are always mutating. So when we evolved to do something, it's more of a reference to how our population grew to that result. Right, because sexual reproduction speeds that process up because you're getting more introduction of genes. Whereas like bacteria that are single-celled organisms that usually split can only get gene variation by brushing against other different bacteria. Like it's a, a much slower process, relatively speaking. So the angiosperm method basically uh, helped propel plants to populate areas much quicker. In the beginning, these plants had slight scent. People started to learn how to cultivate them and experiment with them. In Central Asia to Turkey, there was a sultan in the Ottoman Empire who just fell in love with tulips. He pretty much went bankrupt, but he would still have tulip festivals to celebrate tulips every time they came into season. Also, another part of history in the Dutch, tulips intoxicated them. It was seen as one of the most valuable items in the world. For a couple of years, they dominated the world trade. It was a title of wealth, you know, uh, power. Because since they came in, you know, with so much money, it became a huge economic commodity. Right. A status symbol. It's like having a big house nowadays. Like just what if you had tulips, then people knew you had money. Yeah. So the broken tulip back in the day was extremely rare. It's mixed colors. It was known as the Semper Augustus. And if you can imagine it, it's not so much of a tight tulip its ends are a little jagged and it looks like there's red and white you know just kind of paint has mixed in it like different colors and the petals also kind of look like they're going askew like it's open it's Mm -hmm. it's imperfect which i kind of find beautiful i think imperfect things are prettier in my opinion yeah one of the tulips sold for 
10 to 15 million dollars if it was sold today. Yeah. Back then, it was a price for a nice vineyard or a small mansion. Wow. That like that's crazy. One single flower. Mm-hmm. But then in 1637, in an auction, it was the fall of the tulips. Basically, this one tulip went on and it was set at an extraordinary price, but no one bid for it. Oh, no. And the guy took it down a thousand, then took another thousand and then another thousand and no one bought it. And all of a sudden, this bubble just burst. No one was taking tulips seriously now. This is me being completely ignorant of history. In the 1600s, like the early 60s, was that whenever the plague was around? I don't, I can Google that right fast, but I'm just thinking like maybe people didn't have the money or the like emotion to invest in the thing they had loved before. So that's why they didn't bid. Well, they've been doing it for like three years. And so they would have made quite a bit of money. Anyone at the auction was there because they had money. It was more of the fact that the fad might've stopped. Maybe. And then like, The original Black Plague was in the 1300s, so that wasn't it. But the Great Plague of London took place a couple decades after. So I'm not sure. Suddenly they weren't popular anymore. Yeah, they just weren't popular. And just like the apples, it caused a lot of people to just hate tulips. I mean, what what does everyone usually do when there's a big mistake like that? They usually point at someone, point their fingers at someone. Yeah, there has to be a scapegoat. Just like with the drugs thing, like whenever Mm -hmm. something comes up, hey, this is a problem now. And now we have something to replace it with. So, yeah, that makes sense. Fads go in and out. Yeah. And and it just sucks to be the last person, you know, at the end. Yeah, it does. But what they also didn't realize was that the Semper Augustus, this beautiful tulip, was caused by a virus. They couldn't have known this back then, but now they know that this virus causes the bulb to become weaker and weaker each generation because the virus kind of puts a lot of strain on the plant and the plant has to use extra energy just to like coexist with this virus. So just like what I was saying before, it would eventually get to the point where the bulbs don't even sprout. It would just be too, it would have no energy left. Right. But today, tulips are a multi-billion dollar trade for something unpractical. They only live for X amount of time and then they die and then you have to buy more. And in the flower world, it is a tight, time efficient industry where each flower will lose 15% of profit each day. So they do their best to get, once the flower is cut, it is going straight to a store that can be sold. sold yeah. Sold. But look at the fact that this plant does nothing but give you visual pleasure and some aroma for a couple of days and then dies. And yet it's still able to spread itself all across the world. So what did the tulip do? You know, it captivated us with its beauty. Now, going over to potatoes, I feel like almost every culture has potatoes. It's a staple food. Started out in the Andes Mountain in South America, PSAC, Peru. By the way, I've been there. Beautiful, peaceful place. They have over 5,000 different potatoes there. So much biodiversity. So much starch and deliciousness. Mm-hmm. 
They have different colors, different shapes. Some have different minerals. They do great in most climates. And only it doesn't take too many people to farm potatoes. They kind of do it themselves. It really doesn't. As someone who has grown potatoes, you literally just throw eyes in the ground and cover them up a little bit. Like you can do it with, you don't even have to put them in dirt. You can just cover them with leaves. Yeah. And they'll start growing. It's, they're really, really self-sufficient. So starting out with the natives in South America, if anyone knows their history, the white gods appear from the waters to greet them. And as they hail them and bring the them white in. white gods of death. white gods of death, exactly. <laughs> and just bring plagues upon them amongst other things. They took the potato and decided to take it back to Europe. Well, then we go into the future and potato does excellent in Europe. And Ireland, for one, needed it so bad. One of my favorite history anecdotes was, I think, I can't remember what king it was, but his chef had gotten potatoes. And he thought that what you cooked were the eyes. So he cut out the eyes and cooked them and everyone got sick because you're not supposed to eat the eyes. It's the new shoots. And for, I want to say over a century, no one ate potatoes because they thought they would make you ill. Just because he had prepared them wrong. Yeah. I mean, they can make you ill. Potatoes originally weren't all edible. There were poisonous potatoes out there. Well, potatoes just like tomatoes and uh, something else. I can't remember. They're all in the nightshade family. All of their vegetation is poisonous to humans. Like deadly nightshade will kill us. But these are all nightshade vegetables. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, we play with death so easily. <laughs> so easily and don't even realize it. Like the amount of people that don't realize that potato plants are toxic. The roots, which we eat, are fine. But that's why the eyes made everyone sick is because that's part of the plant. Mm -hmm. So going back to it, Ireland needed a godsend so bad back in the day. You know, they had poor soil, poor weather. Nothing really grew well there until potatoes with potatoes and milk, it became Ireland's staple food, and their population blew up. But they only brought in one type of potato, lumper potato. And lumper is such a fun name. Like yeah, that's that's a lumper. really fun name. And also the short sightedness of we just need one kind. It's fine. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. I mean, it must have been a good potato. But, <laughs> I'm uh, sure it was. This is just making me want to talk in a Irish accent in 1845. That sounds <laughs> of It's just America. making me want potatoes. <laughs> oh, potatoes. Potatoes. Okay. So in 1845, some ship from South America with a fungus-like spore that is spread through the winds arrived in Ireland. And just like how we kind of talked about diversity earlier, unfortunately, within weeks, all of Ireland's fields of potatoes went black. This potato famine started from 1845 to 1852, but it was, you know, in the thick of it was like three years in when all the supplies like were all, you know, I mean, like the last three years were just hell for them. Because potatoes last a while. So the potatoes they that they already had were lasting and like three years in, they're like, oh, nope, we're out. We're out. So 
one in eight people died. About a million people died. That's that's a huge example in history. Like this would never happen in Peru because the virus or the spore could only kill that specific kind of potato. Right. While here they had no diversity and it just killed all of them. So we go back into the future and, you know, humans learning from all of this. You know, you might have heard of this big company, Monsanto. They're famous for making genetically modified plants and pesticides and all sorts of fun things that aren't real. But there was this problem with the potato farmers. There was this beetle, that just Asian beetle that just kept ruining crops. So Monsanto decided, hey, we're going to save the world. And they started creating this new potato that naturally produced this chemical that would deter these beetles. Yeah. And they never notified anyone because the government basically said, if it's not a nutrient, you don't have to list it down. So, so many people were eating this poison through this potato. Right. And it became a whole issue with like McDonald's. Even McDonald's was like, Monsanto, we love you, but we can't stand by you on this because our customers will not stand by. Well, it. number one, it's unethical. And number two, you're experimenting with like gene stuff, which is touchy anyway. It was probably a different time, so it was less touchy. But uh, I mean, I agree with trying to make certain plants like genetically modifying them especially in countries where famine is a big issue well there's like selective breeding yeah and then they're genetically modifying genetically modifying would be like putting a fish scale gene into a plant to but selective breeding is also genetic modification like because you're you're, there's a more natural way about it it is But it's still genetic modification because you're specifically, it's like breeding dogs. Like you're breeding a certain trait. That's genetic modification. Like you're, you're, it's selective breeding. Exactly. But just as a side note, I did Google what lumper potatoes look like and they certainly fit their name. Like they are lumpy and adorable and I want to eat them all. Like they look like little Yukon gold, like that golden yellow color. But they're all just like lumpy and ugly and just would make perfect mashed potatoes. Mm, Sounds good. So, yeah, but just kind of before we go past this, by playing God, they've also made the beetles evolve and become Mm -hmm. more naturally resistant. They didn't need to get that extra help. They're like, okay, let's see what our genes can do. And they can become resistant to genetically engineered right. uh, plants and pesticides. So it's like, why are we getting involved when these plants need to come out with a natural way of you know, fighting off these things? Because of efficiency and the same reason we use hand sanitizer, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just good to note that When you use antibiotics or any human-made things to kill things, you're not killing everything. The same thing applies to them, too. There's always going to be that 1% that's immune to it. And you're actually clearing vacancy for them to repopulate. You're taking out their competitors. Even though we're humans, we work together. There's still competition within us. But if you suddenly started getting rid of all the people who liked stars then you're going to still have humans that do the same thing but don't like stars you know right and this is probably going to be something i discuss at a later date but invasive species like mm-hmm. 
the whole beetle thing brings up Australia and they had a specific beetle that was eating one of their crops. And so they brought in cane toads mm-hmm. because cane toads would eat these beetles. Yeah. But cane toads are poisonous and they'll kill anything that eats them. So they're destroying natural populations and cane toads reproduce like crazy. And now there's a problem. So like genetically modifying anything like that or bringing in an out, like you said, bringing in an outside solution when we should just let things adapt in their own time Mm -mm. is the major problem yeah yeah and and there's also a lot of i don't i don't think they specifically talk about human interaction but they do talk about how invasive species we have to stop looking at them as invasive because it's what nature intended they (sighs) animals migrate and there's a constant battle of things, but invasive species are invasive for a reason. They will get around. Well, I will disagree with that mildly. Like, I understand that, like, they can survive and thrive in a different environment from where they were, were originally from. But if a human brings an animal artificially that didn't migrate, that didn't to serve their purpose, then that's detrimental. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I said, these studies weren't about humans bringing things in. They were talking about if an invasive species from this one forest is brought to, you know, another forest. Yeah. So moving on to marijuana, I know we've covered this many a time, so I won't go too deep into it. But ever since we're kids, we've liked that altered state of mind. You know, when you see or yourself when you used to spin around in circles just to get that dizzy feeling or going to roller coasters and feeling that like, (gasps) like you're going up and then down. Or like even babies, like as young, like less than a year old to like two or three years old will hit their heads against something to get a head rush mm-hmm. just to get that high feeling. Yeah. And you know, we, even now we like to get drunk or high or whatever, or sex, what it does. So plants found a way where it could psychoactively attract itself to animals as well. And I'm talking about weed because, or they also talked about weed is because even though now laws are li- lightening up, But it was still a felony to even have any weed on you. Just like Amelia talked about before, back in the day, marijuana was seen worse than murder or rape. Or in recent times, people have been incarcerated for life just because they had a little bit of weed. Millions have been arrested. They're trying to pardon more people about this stuff. But... One thing I found super interesting about the weed plant, other than the fact that it's also learned how to spread itself all across from Asia to the North Americas and South America, Africa, it's everywhere, but how it affects our mind. So Raphael Meshlam, an Israeli organic chemist and professor of the medical chemistry, he found this interesting thing in our body called the andamide. And what that is, is we found that we have receptors, not for THC, it's for andamine. It's a naturally made compound in our body that acts a lot like THC. So, you know, this is, this is out to all my like, you know, friends and brothers and sisters that enjoy the ganja. You know, we've always had that friend that's like, dude, it's a God given plant because like, 
our brains. They have the receptors to bring in the THC. No other creature has that, man. That's not true. It turns out that without the plant, we already have receptors. It's just that THC is a very similar shape to andamines. What this andamine does, though, it releases the... Oh, before we go there. So when it's released in our brain, it affects appetite, pain, and memory. Andamines can also be found in chocolate. So you would think, like, why is this important? Because it's about forgetting. Forgetting, we all look as negative, but it's actually as important as remembering well. So imagine you going throughout your day. Imagine if you went to go to sleep, you remembered every single face, detail, sound, bug, everything while you were awake. That would keep you from going to sleep. Well, your brains developed a special way to make sure that not everything is bright, that some things can be dimmed so you can focus on the things that are important to you and your survival. And also think about soldiers returning back from war, PTSD. Wouldn't it be nice if they could also learn to forget certain things? and not live in this continuous cycle. So I'm not talking about how weed and forgetting is going to solve all of this. It's just interesting that our brains also have this natural ability to forget. And if we could learn how to control that, it would not only help us remember things better, but it also help us, you know, get past a lot of our trauma. Yeah, and to a degree, I I get that. Like, being able to forget things and block things out, but at the same time, you have to at least acknowledge it once. So I don't believe in just forgetting things or... So I'm not saying, like, let's say, for example, you don't forget the fact that you got raped, but you forget the trauma of it. You still remember it, but the emotional and whatever, to be able to look at it as a third person... I mean, you're still going to go forth in what you want. I mean, like, I'm sure you'll still seek justice and whatnot. But what I'm saying is, if you can forget things that happen to you emotionally, because a lot of the things that happen to us, we're emotionally connected to it, we could have a more Christ-like conscious, if that makes sense. We would be able to get past war. It does, but also at the same time, our bodies already can't accurately remember pain. Yeah. We talked about this, mm-hmm. emotional mm-hmm. or physical. I guess trauma may be different, but I don't know. I mean, you have, it's brain mapping, it's muscle memory, it's pathways that are carved by the trauma. Like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, these are things we do on a day-to-day basis. I'm not saying that this is going to fix everything, but I am saying that if we're able to understand it, because right now we don't understand this that well. But they're excited about this because if they can figure out more of this, it's like playing with a toy and then realizing there's another side to the toy. And you're like, holy crap, there's a two-in-one toy. Rubik's Cube. Yeah. So now they'll study this and, you know, who knows what they'll find. But, yeah, so that documentary, interesting as it was, went over these four plants and how they took over the world. Now, looking at uh, plants and their interaction with animals, you get, you know, simple things like pitcher plants and woolly bats, how they like to live inside them, sleep inside them. And Numbats are the same thing. Like numbats are tiny little rodents and they use pitcher plants as toilets. And so the pitcher plants get protein and they give the numbats uh, like uh, nectar. 
Yeah, a lot of bats actually have a very symbiotic relationship with a lot of these. Uh, they're pollinators, you know, yeah, a lot of the flowers. like bees. Mm hmm. So the baobab and the fruit bats, they also help each other. You know, the bats eat the fruit while it's also acts as its pollinator along with food and shelter. The baobab fruit also has fertilized seeds that are eaten by elephants that are carried miles away where the juices inside the elephant, the gastric juices, weaken the shell of the seeds that are necessary for the successful germination. And then they can like grow. Right, somewhere else. So you're always going to find, you know, these trees along their pathways. And eventually they might be walking in like an entire forest of them. Maybe so. That would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, these are basic examples like sugar birds known as the fin boss. They're excellent pollinators in the desert. Fig trees and fig walls also have a very uh, symbiotic relationship, help pollinate, and they reproduce inside the fig, giving the eggs protection. I mean, talking about the yellow birds that you mentioned that have this relationship with this one tree, it's the same thing with like pandas and bamboo or koalas and eucalyptus. You know, mm -hmm. if, if one dies out, the other dies out and yeah. vice versa. So going through all of this, I'm finding so many interesting things about plants. I mean, the fact that, you know, I said they had memory and yeah. there's the mimosa picota that, you know, the, have you ever seen those plants that if you touch them, they curl up? Yes, yes. Or, or even a Venus flytrap. They did this experiment where they dropped water on these plants. And at the first time, they closed up, but then they kept doing it. After a while, the water drops didn't affect these plants. They knew it was water. And they would remember up to two months. And wow. people were by this, this simple little plant. And that's because we have brains in our head, but they are a brain. And 90% yeah. of the plant can be removed and it'll still live. Like, how efficient is that? It's super efficient. I think if you took a 10% away from my body, I might die. I mean, maybe not, but I, I don't think I would want to live. You would like to think you would die. It's also interesting to see that some of the things that affect us affect the plants as well. It's a two-way street. For example, like what chloroform does to us, we can also do it to them and it will actually knock them out. You can uproot them and replant them without putting them into shock, which is interesting. Like it's like anesthesia. Mm hmm. So it's interesting to see that, you know, a lot of the similarities in what we do give us benefit, but it also makes us susceptible. Quinine is a plant. You might have heard it more recently due to COVID, but it was influenced in human history for centuries. I mean, indigenous people in the Andes used it for fevers. The Jesuits uh, stationed in Peru early in the 17th century, they used the plant for malaria as well. And what weren't you saying earlier? Oh, um, that is the origin of the gin and tonic for the British Empire was tonic water has quinine in it historically, and there were higher levels back in the day, but that's how they would get their malaria dose every day was they would drink a gin and tonic. Oh, that's, that's also good. But I was talking more about like the recent COVID thing people you were saying. 
Oh, um, apparently quinine was supposed to be really good for um, battling COVID, like preventing, kind of like when you take vitamin C and zinc to keep from getting a cold. People were being told that quinine was really good for battling COVID. And so just like toilet paper disappeared in the beginning of the pandemic, tonic water was hard to find because people were just drinking it all the time, which, you know, having that much quinine Mm. in your system all the time isn't great for you either. But they didn't know that. Like the people taking, uh, what was yeah. it, ivermectin? Horse horse pills? Like to try to prevent getting COVID? It's You have to have context, guys. Like the quinine in tonic water is healthy for you. It's good for you. But nothing outside of moderation is ever going to be good for you. For sure. But basically, this all comes down to are plants actually in control of everything we do in life? Or are we too simple to understand their long-term plans because they don't actually think day to day they're omnipresent they know what they are and they probably can predict the weather a lot better than you know your local news station can for sure meteorologists don't know anything but trees are going to anticipate rain Mm -hmm. and they're like giants you know they're not going to do the first strike and here's the other thing We are only 300,000 years old. The average species on Earth is about 2 million to 5 million years old. So in terms of that, we are a baby. We, We might be evolving so slowly because of the fact that we are a baby. We're not even like halfway there to being on the lower end of a normal species here on Earth. Yeah. And yet these plants have been here since the beginning, almost, you know, compared to us. For sure. So they're already here, you know, like whenever people, a population enters a land, they usually populate and establish businesses. And then new people have to come in and they kind of work as the employees, you know, and that builds the pyramid. Now imagine it this way. Plants have already set the board and here we emerge and go into their jungles. You know, like, they have so many SPCs, the secondary plant products, that are attracting us to aroma, to psychochemical effects, to feeding us. So we're living in their world. We're right now talking about we're in the beast, we're in this, like, you know, mechanical monster. But that mechanical monster is also inside a jungle. You know, I think we need to realize I'm not I'm not trying to say plants are evil. I'm trying to say we need to look at plants differently in the way how they're influencing us and how we're influencing them. And maybe it's not us who should decide what's best for us, plants, insects and animals. But maybe the plants will tell us better how we should be living. Maybe so. I mean, I would love some input from someone because every now and then I just feel like I don't know what I'm doing. But Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to remember that plants are kind of what keeps us alive. They produce oxygen from the harmful gases we breathe out, we fart out, we burp out, whatever. They convert that into something we can use. And if we're not polite, kind, you know, mindful, Mm -hmm. we're going to die. Yeah, I mean, like... I'm going to just have to say, like, you know, it's mother nature. If I had to choose sides, I would probably jump on her side because I mainly think she would win. You know, reading She's the numbers. She's definitely going like, to kill us all. If this was like Lord of the Rings, I mean, like, it's like the humans versus all the fae, all the orcs, all the 
troll like everyone you know humans wouldn't stand a chance but with that note and before we end i thought i'd just share some things that will you know be the little cookie that makes you feel better when this podcast Mm -hmm. ends is i actually didn't know this but corals aren't actually plants they're animals they have a microscopic algae if you want to count that slightly, but they're not in the same kingdom anymore. They live inside their cells. And so when they die, you know, from pollution in them or like mm-hmm. the temperature, it's actually the algae leaving their coral system. And that's why they turn white dead. Right. That lends them their color. But what the coral actually are, that's why I was doing this was yeah. they're worms. They're tiny worms that create the Very structures that they live in. Yeah. And also lavenders, if you if you don't like bugs around the house, I know we've been talking a lot about them and you're like, yep, I like them, but they can't stay around my house out of sight, out of mind. Get some more lavender. They help with fleas and mosquitoes. Basil mm-hmm. also is a re- repellent. And I'm talking about plant these. Uh, mosquitoes and flies. Garlic keeps deers and certain beetles away. Fennel, you know, snails. And chrysanthemums are pretty, and they keep the mosquitoes, roaches, beetles, ticks, and silverfish away. I know I said mosquitoes a lot. That's going to be something we bring up very soon. Yeah. Well, that ends the plant episode. Thank you so much for joining us. I had a fun time presenting this material. I had a fun time interjecting way too much because if we've said it once, we've said it a half a dozen times now. Everything connects. Mm-hmm. It just kind of goes to show you that we all are connected. And while we're connecting, you can definitely connect with us on our handles on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube. We're going to have a Patreon up and going soon. And find us on there. Humanity with three E's is our handle on almost every place. Yeah. So if you miss us that much, you can find us there. And you can always come back and binge the rest of the series over and over and over again. (laughs) No one loves us that much. Anyways, well, we hope you have a wonderful weekend or rest of the week. And we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.